Hello and welcome to Strictly Infrastructure, a new podcast focused on the UK's infrastructure industry. Each episode we'll be talking to a leading expert from across the sectors, from housing to highways, energy to airports and everything in between. Hello and welcome, I'm Charlotte and I'm Catherine. And for this first episode of Strictly Infrastructure, we're taking a look into how the planning process has shifted in light of the current lockdown. So since March, COVID-19 has changed pretty much everything, not least in the world of infrastructure. So for our first episode, we wanted to focus on that, and particularly how you can still consult on your project when you can't bring people together face to face. That's right. And that's why today we've brought together a group from across the industry to find out more about how everyone is adapting to meeting planning requirements. Hello everyone, I'm Tim Reid, a director at Camargue. In this episode of Strictly Infrastructure, we want to explore the opportunities and challenges for consultation and engagement resulting from restrictions on social contact. To help us do that, I'm very pleased to be joined, remotely of course, by Alid Rowlands, External Affairs Manager at National Grid, Tracy Cruz, Director of Planning at Cheltenham Borough Council, and our own Mike Conway, Camargue Director, and the man who's been leading our exploration of this particular issue. Welcome, and thank you everyone for taking the time to join us. Perhaps if I could turn to you first, Tracy, what particular challenges and opportunities have you noticed since the lockdown? I think the key challenges is how we communicate. And um, I think for me, IT has been our saviour in how we do that. Um, I think we've embraced um, wholeheartedly how we do that um, in terms of not just video conferencing, but also the way we're using IT more creatively um, to get the job done, really. I think, you know, we as a business have been really clear that we've got a business as usual to run. So we've got a planning service that still needs to get decisions out the door. And how do we do that when you can't go and visit the applicant, you can't meet the developer, um, you can't speak in terms of a roundtable discussion um, with members of the public. So how do you achieve that? And I think technology has been tremendous in terms of just breaking down some barriers and enabled us to get the job done. That's great. Thank you very much. Uh, Alan, obviously you run a team that uh, operates remotely often anyway and uh, spread around the country, but um, has it been a challenge for you um, and impacts in your day-to-day operations as, as well as um, trying to manage and, and plan communications? I think the day-to-day stuff, as you mentioned, you know, we're used to as a team and it's something that um, you know, kind of is, was no leap for us. I think engaging with others who might not be so used to that and might want to have that kind of face-to-face communication is perhaps changed. But I think the biggest challenge that, that we've faced is interpreting what we're hearing from government and, and from kind of leaders uh, and deciding how we need to respond as a business, but also helping others understand how we're interpreting, interpreting things as well. So trying to explain to people why we think it is the right thing to make certain decisions, uh, and they obviously might agree or disagree with that, and are all times doing this where, well, as Tracy says, you often like to do this around a table or you know face to face but you're having to do it through other communication methods so that's probably been the biggest challenge uh, for us to date 
Thank you very much, Alad. Uh, Mike, just turning to you, then obviously we have an example here from a, from local authority, from a, perhaps a large large corporate, but from a, a small business perspective, what, what's, what do you think have been the challenges for us? I mean, as a business operating, I think it's 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 been easily proven that we can function very effectively remotely, um, you know, and that you know, gets us to start thinking about future ways of working for us as a business, you know, in terms of delivering for our clients. So we can do pretty much everything we did beforehand. Yeah. You know, there are some things that we that we that we would do for our clients that, that we have to rethink, and that's particularly around consultation. You know, particularly around the public event part element of any public consultation, that clearly is off the table for some time. And and so, you know, most of our you know thinking over the last couple of weeks has been really how we can mitigate that uh, and and make consultations happen when you can't actually physically meet. Um, you know, but the ways of doing it, you know, the technologies exist, uh, and I think the key is the sort of smart application of those to make sure that, you know, you don't just tack on the tech for the sake of it, but you try to rethink the experience of, of consultation and, and, and use the opportunity that digital brings um, because it really could be quite transformative. Thank you. Uh, Alid, um, in, obviously, um, in, in terms of National Grid, are, are, have you continued to engage? Have you continued to, to consult during this period? Yeah, we have, absolutely. And I think we've you know, when the, the pandemic kind of rolled onto us and when the government reacted in the way that it did, uh, it wasn't consultation in the formal sense, but we absolutely had to go and speak to people and tell them what we were doing and why we thought it was the right thing, you know, whatever that decision has been made. And we've also continued kind of those more formal consultation things that, that you've said. As it happens, we haven't had one of those big projects in a formal consultation round. But that, uh, I, for me, to a certain extent, that's that's a little bit of a, a false dichotomy, really, which is, you know, you're, you're you're talking all the time. You're trying to understand the context, trying to understand people's worries, uh, you know, respond to those and demonstrate you're responding to those. So it's not necessarily about those formal consultation areas, although there's a, a very big question mark and there's a very big space for us to engage you know, across the industry uh, in those formal parts. But it is you know, our work just jumped immediately in trying to have those conversations, understand them, uh, and then to understand as the situation evolved, how we're continuing to evolve that, that conversation as we go. And then the techniques we use comes into that as well. But I think you know the important part, you know, as uh, you know, just discussed really, is it's the message, the important thing. It is what you're trying to get across, the important thing, and then try and find the best ways of doing that. And, and in terms of your engagement with um, with, with uh, the local authorities or, or other stakeholders, have you found them to be receptive to to, to continuing to, to to engaging with you? Absolutely, and I think this has given up. Uh, that has given us an opportunity uh, and. Uh, to be you know, really frank, sometimes when we've discussed using technologies to have engagements with you know, councils, parish councils, community councils and the rest, you know, it hasn't been kind of jumped upon as a fantastic opportunity, but most recently it has. And I think we've been able to demonstrate that it works, that we're able to have really good conversations, you know, really clear uh, messages that we're able to get across. We're able to hear things back in a really clear way. And sometimes it's better than, you know, it, it almost sometimes takes uh, some of the emotion out of some of the conversations where you can get really down to what somebody is trying to tell you that sometimes gets lost in, you know, in whatever kind of body language or whatever things other people are going to get across. So, yes, we've been able to do that. And, um, and the feedback we've had from stakeholders as well has also been really positive. That's great. Uh, Tracy, obviously, 
as a local authority, as the Cheltenham Borough Council, you've recently announced some major development proposals, um, Cyber Central. Obviously, you're looking to keep um, planning and development still moving on. But uh, as a local authority, do you think, um, how, how do you feel about the, this new world? How do you feel about uh, the world of online consultation and, and developers perhaps coming and engaging with your communities? Well, I think we were already there, actually. So um, previous to um, COVID lockdown, we just completed a consultation on what we're calling Golden Valley Development, Cyber Central UK. It's probably one of the most exciting pieces of planning, probably that I'll come in contact in, in my career, I suspect. Um, you know, it's, it's probably the largest um, area of growth that Cheltenham experience over the next few decades. And we undertook a consultation on a supplementary planning document which is normally quite a dry environment to be consulting with him. And we did that predominantly through an online platform. And we did that for one sole reason is because we need a young working age population to come and work in Cheltenham. And, and it's no disrespect for the people who do comment on planning applications and planning documents, but it's generally not a young working age population or below. What the engagement platform enabled us to do was to really understand was who's commenting, where are they commenting from, and therefore we were able to shift our social media to try and attract a different um, population um, category. So we knew that we had no under 16s commenting, so we were able to do some work um, with the schools. We knew that we didn't have any um, people in the kind of education sector, so we were able to, um, again, work through Gloucestershire College and they gave us access into um, the college to do some face-to-face um, -face consultation. But it meant that we were able to increase our diversity of the people commenting. So I think we're going to be doing that on a much more regular basis I think you know not just on planning but how we have a conversation with our community I think it's really important and I think if we learn anything from COVID it's actually community is so important and actually community want to talk to you and they want to talk to each other. And, and have you been approached at all by I mean have developers come to you saying look we want to engage we want to talk to people are you comfortable with a, you know, a predominantly digital approach? They haven't necessarily come to us. The same as Ali does is there's no being big proposal outside of um, Golden Valley, which we're already working on anyway. But I think it will probably be the opposite way. I think we'll be saying to them, how are you going to be using digital? to do your consultation rather than a, a, a I say a dusty old um, uh, standard um, stand in a village hall and talk to a display board type environment. That's good. I mean, Ali, just, I mean that's a really interesting point, I think, about the different demographics that uh, you can potentially target. Um, as National Grid, I mean, is that a challenge you find as well? Absolutely. And I, you know, recognize that description of standing in a school hall, you know, pointing at maps and in looking at uh, PDF documents. Uh, and I'm I'm really keen for us to move on from that and really keen for us to have more engagement. And I think perhaps, you know, it's, it's clear to me that when you look at the demographics, the people who are able to give the time to come to those types of events, you're not gathering the entirety of society, the entirety of community, as kind of Tracy just outlined. Um, and it's, it's definitely something for us to consider and move on to. And we can't lose those people, you know, who might not want to engage with technology in the way that we do, which is absolutely fine. Uh, and we need to address that and, and take those people with us and hear those views. 
But in the same way, it's it's false for us to think that we've got them at the moment, that we have everybody in the entirety of community commenting at the moment, just, just exactly as Tracy outlined, which is we're not seeing kind of a younger demographic. We're not seeing those with different viewpoints and at a different stage of their life. And it's incredibly important as we come out of this, as we're looking hopefully for the long and, and, and medium term in, in the way that society is going to function, the way the economy is going to work, the way we are planning and the rest of it, that we try and bring as much of society as possible, as much as community as possible, who are to have a stake in um, how it's developed. So, yeah, I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I'm hoping that this is a moment where we can just say, okay, let's not judge the way we're doing our applications. Let's not judge our communication by the number of school halls we stand in, but about the quality of the conversations we have and looking at the, the entirety of the community uh, and finding that all of community has has had a part, has played, you know, has held their stake in in, in what they are as really important stakeholders to us. Thanks, Anna. Well, Mike, do you want to talk a little bit about perhaps the, the interface between digital and maybe more traditional forms of consultation? I, I guess we're unlikely to see one disappearing and, and one totally supplanting it. It's, it's quite interesting, actually, just, just you know, if, if you actually strip back what's happened um, in terms of what you can and can't do with consultation. The only thing that you can't do now is have a public event is how the village hall event, everything else needs to still be done, but it probably needs to be done much better and much sharper with much more communications focus. Because if you're not having the cornerstone of your consultation being the public event, you need to work harder to target those people to make sure they understand about the consultation and make sure they, they're aware of it and they have access to the information. So if the cornerstone of future consultation will become digital because of that, I think digital affords the opportunity to do consultation much better beyond the way that it's always been done. You know, a lot of consultation is done the way it's done because it's always been done like that. But I think if if the if the you know the pivot point for consultation moves to digital, you can suddenly think about how it can be done much better. You know, for example, you know how you can use digital to to have a much more intuitive experience for the for the member of the public when they're leaving their feedback. You know, rather than a feedback form, you know, they could they could leave it in real time and that, that feedback could be understood by the team in real time. And if the if the developer team understands that feedback in real time, the, the opportunity then exists to be much more dynamic with what you with what you roll out in terms of consultation. So you can react to emerging issues. So if if you've got real time information on emerging issues, you can then put in place more consultation to deal with that. You know, and the opportunity is there really to make consultation a much more dynamic process, I think, than it's ever been done before because of digital. That's good. Thank you very much. And Tracy, just thinking in terms of local authorities, obviously, Cheltenham um, is uh, seen as a sort of go-ahead authority and it's putting things in place to uh, to engage and is already engaging online. Um, do you think, however, that could be the same across the whole country or do you think there might be in the future perhaps some areas that aren't, um, aren't perhaps keeping up or aren't so bought into it? Well, I think it's quite interesting because we've been pushing government to say, how do we remove the blockages in planning whilst we're in this COVID world? And I think any improvements we bring in a COVID world will help us on the other side as well. And I think, you know, for example, planning has a whole bunch of regulations surrounding it. So we have to do things in a certain way. Um, We have statements of community involvement that require us to do things in a certain way. And I think the thing that Mike was talking about was creativity. And I think what we 
we've managed to um, do through the way in which our planning regulations are drafted is probably remove creativity from the process of how we do consultation. And we're kind of forced into a very practical way of consultation of consulting with um, our communities. And I think if you look at things like Twitter, the things that people like to do is they like to have a conversation. And, and it can be on the most mundane or the, in the most controversial. But what people like to do is have a conversation. We don't do that in the way we do business. And I think that's what we need to move to. I think it's going to require some authorities to do some best practice and make that become the norm and then be able to sell that best practice. But I think the first starting point, and we're starting to do that through our engagement with planning, is to say, come on, we need some changes to the regulations because if we stick with what we've got, we're going to go backwards in a post-COVID world instead of forwards because digital has to be at the heart of it. That's very interesting. I'm just thinking about how as things move forward, obviously at the moment, Perhaps there aren't projects, um, the larger projects perhaps are not uh, not pushing on the door, uh, coming out straight away now. But do you imagine that um, you'll be able to keep the, the same timetable you'd always imagined for over the next year? Will the same number of applications come forward? Will the same number of proposals be brought forward for development? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a real prime focus for National Grid as well. You know, in our world, the, the, the world of, kind of energy transformation, uh, we, we can't miss the fact that you know we're in the middle of that transformation and it's probably the biggest change that we're going to see to National Grid since it was established, since, since the 50s and 60s, since it was there. And we've absolutely not taken our foot off the gas in, in making that happen. So this week, we've been involved in quite a few kind of internal governance sessions, looking at the major projects that we're going to have to develop in order to respond to all the green energy that's you know, coming off the, the North Sea, for example. So no, internally National Grid, you know, we're, we're flat out in developing those projects uh, in order to ensure that when we come out of this, not only are we part of the economic recovery, uh, but we're playing our part in, you know, what, what was such a big issue before we went into this, which is, uh, you know, around uh, renewable energy, around, you know, making our our air clearer, uh, around kind of developing things so that the next generation and the many generations after that can can live in the type of world that we want it to be. So, so yes, I, I'm. You know, very soon we're going to be, you know, kind of pushing those and understanding what it means, you know, uh, you know, to the public. Um, and yes, we're we're flat out in developing those, and no halt at all during what what's uh, been currently happening. Uh, are there any any blockers, any things you fear? Um... Uh, I think it is. I don't. We don't. I don't fear anything from those large projects. I suppose what I want to ensure that when we uh, are talking about this, that we put it in the context of society that 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 we're trying to serve, which is, you know, isn't this an amazing opportunity for us? You know, who'd have thought, you know, 15 or 20 years ago, we would have so much renewable energy that the system itself would need to change so dramatically in order to get it to the homes and businesses that need it, and to see it in that way, and and hopefully that a robust grid will be seen as important as it was in the 50s and 60s when it was developed, and the idea of having good, strong, you know, electricity connections, having good, strong gas connections to your homes was really important. Uh, so for things like, you know, being able to decarbonize transport, so not only for the, your private car, perhaps, but also for local authorities to be able to do that with their fleet of vehicles from, from buses and refuse vehicles and the rest of it. So uh, don't have any fears, just wanting us to be able to kind of set that context, which is this is an opportunity. It's an opportunity you know, for society. And we would like society to play a part in describing what that should look like for them individually for their communities and for kind of the broader kind of uh, GB Limited. 
thank you. Um, Mike, I mean, obviously, that, that's interesting. I know, and there is a, a lot of infrastructure that's being planned, a lot of infrastructure that hopefully will be coming forward over the uh, over the coming months, over the coming coming years. I mean, what role do you think digital can have in, in rolling that out? I think... I think there's a lot's going to be in um, depend on almost the, the bravery of the LPAs in terms of interpretation of of SOCs and of of, of SCIs and uh, and and I think as as some come forward and um, uh, outline legitimate expectation of consultation can be achieved by not having public events because there's a range of other consultation that, that meets the need and spreads it and creates more diversity. I think others will follow and it will create its new norm, you know, and the public events will probably be the secondary thing that you consider to fill the gaps rather than your primary function of consultation. But I, I don't think it'll be overnight because I think there will still be nervousness about can you achieve consultation without public events? But clearly you can. But it will be, it'll depend on, you know, uh, uh, as Tracy says, you know, the, the rules being set in terms of what, what is what meets legitimate expectation for consultation. So I think it will be interesting to see what happens over the next weeks and months when clearly public events are off the table uh, and, and how those um, SCIs and, and SOCs are allowed to move forward to set the new, the new terms for consultation on projects. Thank you, and Tracy. And obviously, um, as a planning authority, you you are you have the officers uh, delivering the policy, developing the policy. Um, you also have the political element coming into it. Um, do you think that, um, that politically, I'm not just going to talk about Cheltenham, but um, you know, have politicians bought into this? Do you think well, are local councillors are they are they likely to universally accept this as a legitimate form of of engagement? Well, I, I think it's fair to say that politicians are on a learning curve as with everybody else I, I my 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 feel is that there will always be a blend of consultation and there will always be an element and an appropriate element of fixed communication in consultation so there's always going to be a part of the communicate the community who's going to want to have a face-to-face conversation with the people who are proposing the um, the policies or the strategies that have been presented to them or the um, development proposals so I don't think that will ever go away I just think it will be just part of the blend of the consultation that comes forward. In terms of members, I mean, it's, you know, we're doing video conferencing. Um, this week we had another all um, council um, conversation with members. Um, you know, some are engaging um, more actively with the tech than others. Um, but that come, is like anybody in society. Some people may feel more comfortable with it than others. Um, but with training and with support, um, we will all get there. So I think, you know, because we're all being forced to live in this world, I think we'll all be more open to thinking about the opportunities. And again, just come back to that point about creativity. I think we're going to be pushing the developers, for example, on schemes when they come forward with consultation to be more creative in how they have a proper conversation as opposed to just presenting information. And that's what they're doing. They're presenting information. It's opening a conversation and an ability to exchange that information. Thank you. Mike, do you have a point you want to make? Yeah, I, I think that's important and because the technology exists. You know, the technology exists with us. It's the smart application that goes into project web, websites. You know, we can, we can create one-to-one video consultations with members of the public, you know, to offset the public public meetings but but how we do that and how we manage it needs to be thought through 
but the the technology now exists to to create websites that 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 can create more meaningful engagement and i think it's important you know it'll be interesting to see that how websites evolve not just to replicate a village hall you know but to actually be transformative in terms of the consultation experience you know and i think that's a real opportunity you know maybe it'll be driven towards that by by the by covid you know that the pace of it i i it's difficult to say and do you think in terms of um of obviously working in a, in a large organization do, do you think everyone in in say national grid is also bought into the concept of the you know, ongoing digital engagement and, and wider use of, of technology absolutely i think there's just been for us internally a massive change but the way we see the meeting the way that we see to kind of coming together to make decisions uh, and that has been incredibly swift uh, and well, aren't we all grateful that we live just at the time that technology has allowed us to be able to do that um, but the the organization has absolutely you know jumped in and run down the road with it uh, and I can't well we're not going to go back to the way we were working previously and, I, and there aren't many people that would wish that um, so I think that that decision making process the, the conversations will need to change will need to you know the, the chat over a coffee and a break is not going to be available to us. So how are we going to do that and how are we going to be able to understand that going forward? Uh, but beyond that, not not only, I think, do we see uh, you know, the ability to have conversations, to make decisions in this kind of digital world uh, to be the way we are now, um, but I think just the speed of things, the availability of people to make those decisions, if, if anything, is going to speed things up. Uh, and I'd hope as well, I think one thing I've noticed kind of personally is the kind of the crispness of decisions now and I kind of mentioned it a bit earlier around the crispness of the conversations with external stakeholders and the technology to a certain extent makes you be more disciplined makes you be clearer with your messages and uh, for the person on the other side to be clear in what they're hearing um, and so so I think that and I think that's all good you know that's all good for us in a in this world where it's important for us to be able to um, describe what we're attempting as a developer like National Grid and for us to be able to hear really clearly uh, what the issues might be or what the good things might be for us to take that into account and demonstrate it again. So, so I'm, I'm, really, I'm really hopeful that this is, is a moment for us to kind of to move on uh, and, as you say, to find creative ways of kind of developing things that, that work for everybody. And, and do you think, I'm sorry, Tracy, perhaps turning to you, talking about creativity, are, are there things that could be done that might uh, might damage the, uh, the, the, the the concept of, of a wider digital engagement? Do you think there are, could there be missteps? Could, could certain audiences be alienated, perhaps? I think we need to be really careful, absolutely, because what we don't want to do is um, lose those who have active engagement now but are put off by technology. We need to take those people with us as well. I think as well, I think that point that Aled made about the clarity of the questions we're posing and the decisions we're seeking, I think if we're going more down a digital route, we need to be really clear in our communication and how we present ideas, thoughts, strategies, so that people actually can understand them. You know, it may be okay in a technical world for me to share a document that is full of um, technicalities, but for the person I'm looking to communicate with, that's probably not the way they're going to receive information. Um, they probably don't want to read a 60-page document over their tea. They want to read something that's actually quite short and focused, maybe got more graphic illustrations that helps them in the storytelling of what they need to understand. So I think we are going to have to rethink the types of skill sets also that we have within the people we employ as well.
That's interesting. Mike, I mean, I'm also thinking that uh, perhaps some of the traditional methods of communicating with people like, like newspapers uh, are suffering now, um, both of traditional forms and even digital are, are suffering. Do you think there are challenges that, that, that come about, perhaps where people get their news, where they find out information about is perhaps constrained in some ways? I don't think it's it's ever been easier to sort of target people, you know, you know, in a communication sort of led way, you know, social media, you know, is geared for targeting people, you know, radio is very segmented, you know, there's, there's smarter ways to communicate with people to start the engagement. And it's interesting listening to, to everyone here, because it, it you know, the, the, the sort of uh, the concept of personal and human is coming out. And, you know, consultations must almost change to be more appreciative of the experience of the of the person that we're talking to um, rather than feel that they can accept the way that we've done things and you know making making the experience more human if it's going to be digital is really important but I think reaching out to people is, is probably never been easier you know we you know with smart comms thinking you know in, in how you target people what do they need you know when do they need it at what level of information do they need you know and Tracy's point is a good one you know, the way things have always been done will probably have to change. You know, non-technical summaries will probably have to be much more understandable and, and non-technical. You know, and if, if, if that is the one third thing you're going to send someone to understand the project, it probably needs to have its pencil sharpened in how it's written and how it's understandable. You know, and so the thinking that goes into what people receive now, I think, will have to be much more focused because you know, the the fallback position of the public event where the expectation is we can deal with all these issues in terms of, you know, individuals understanding the project and, and engaging, we need to replicate in another way. So, you know, move, digital is not just about, you know, online consultation. Consultation has to transform because you're using digital as the core now. You know, digital consultation doesn't exist. There has to be a, a fuller consultation experience, including probably more hard copies of things that you send. You know, but at the heart, the opportunity for digital to be the cornerstone in terms of how you how we engage and how we ask for feedback. You know, you know, we've built we've built a model where people can stick pins in a map and leave comments. You know, that's much more intuitive as a process to ask people to leave feedback and. I think it will move towards, you know, softening it for for people to make it more accessible, you know, more accessible in technology, more accessible in language, more accessible in terms of how they live their life and and how they can access things. So, you know, I think this is going to transform things. That's good. Uh, Ali, do, do you have a, a view on that? Yeah, just picking up on the point that Mike made there about um, the human element and trying to get your message across. And I'm I'm not the biggest fan of uh, community events, those kind of school hall events. But one thing they really do give you is the chance to show empathy, is the chance to show that you're listening. So that's one thing that I'm kind of certain that when we, as we are moving away from that and not able to do that in the current context, is being able to find a way to say to people, yes, we know this is not the answer you wanted. Um, however, you know, and, and then being able to say, and we understand this is this is causing you difficulties. So, so tell us about that, and let us let us hear about that, and let us understand it, and see you know, how we can develop it and it kind of going forward. So all those th things I can completely agree with uh, with Mike, which, and it's that being able to have a connection with somebody in a way that is not with them in front of your face, I think, is going to be really important. So that uh, being able to tell people or explain your project, being able to 
tell them the story of why you're doing it and, and why you're developing it in a certain way, you know, hearing back from them, just as you described. You know, for some people, being able to put a pin map is perfect. You know, it is being able to pinpoint, you know, that pothole that needs to be fixed. It is to pinpoint that that element that the developer might have missed. You know, you know fantastic. It's not going to work for everybody. So it is then finding that human interaction and that empathetic interaction that really does you know, push your scheme forward in the way that we want to, you know, n- nobody wants to kind of be thought of as the organization that is, um, you know, so certain of its way that it drives everybody out of its path. You know, that, that's not what it's about and it can't be what it's about. And so we need to be able to show empathy as well. That's great. Now, Tracy, do you have a perspective on that? I, I do, because I think, you know, just listen to Alid there. I think what Alid's talking about is relationships and how do you build a relationship digitally And I think that's a big ask to the digital industry about what tools can be developed to do that. And and as Alid was talking, I was thinking about the the wide range of relationships I have with particular communities, with particular groups that aren't just developed over one scheme. They're developed over multiple schemes. And, you know, I've been into many village halls and school halls and, and many people don't like what I have to say. But it's an opportunity for me to have a proper conversation for them to understand that the local planning authority is listening to them and understands what their issues are. And I think the challenge for digital is to be able to provide a appropriate tool that enables that relationship to be sustained because it's not a one-trick pony. You don't just have a one conversation and then you move away. These are conversations that often go over years, not, you know, uh, you know, the weeks of 13-week application. You know, we were having those conversations, you know, multiple times over multiple decisions. That's interesting. I was, I was also thinking that um, that sort of empathy for a local authority, of course, it extends beyond beyond planning. And you could say for, for everyone, really, for for, for National Grid, it's in the construction phase, it's in their day-to-day activities, in, in for our work in, in communications, it's more widely around um, all, you know, starting way, way before we might come to come to planning. But do you think there are um, ways in which we can be using technology to build up that empathy outside of the planning process? Do you think for a local authority, it'll become significantly more important in, in every aspect of life? Um, well, yeah, I mean, um, under my portfolio, I have an organization called Marketing Cheltenham. So Marketing Cheltenham was created a couple of years ago, and predominantly on the visitor economy, but increasingly we're pushing that into an economic and inward investment and strand as well. Um, that gives us an opportunity not just talk to our community, but talk to our visitors, talk to our businesses, um, talk to other um, users who are um, having a, 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 a stake in, in Cheltenham, you know, as a town and as a place. Um, Um, So Marketing Cheltenham, I see as an important vehicle. It's very heavy on um, social media. So we don't really produce much in a kind of paper format. So we're very much on that model of how do we have a communication with our community in a digital way. Um, So I think, we, you know, there's opportunities to develop how we use that tool. And again, in terms of National Grid, do you think it will... Um, you know, beyond the um, external affairs, beyond the engagement, the consultation, um, do you think it will have wider implications for the way that National Grid communicates with with a whole raft of, of different uh, stakeholders and organisations? I think it has to. I think it's, you know, those relationships that we have, you know, with, you know, the government regulator, with 
NGOs and, and others you know, like us, um, I think that has changed. But we're all going through this together, aren't we? So I don't think there's I don't think there's going to be any kind of uh, resistance to that. And as I say, there are many positive things that are coming out of it from a communications perspective. Uh, and National Grid has already and will continue to be. You know, just as we're talking about non-technical summaries, you know, this is the exact journey we're on at the moment, which is making our non-technical summaries you know, really understandable. We're trying to see what what's best out there in the industry, um, and then have that communication with the planners and with the, you know, those kind of regulating what we're doing and explaining that this is a quality engagement. That what we are doing here is telling a story that people can understand. Uh, and also giving opportunities for them to come back with us. So I really, I'm, I'm hoping, I'm very hopeful that we're not going to have those blockers and for you know, for people to revert back to the idea, as you say, of you know counting counting numbers in and out of of a school hall is the way to judge the quality engagement. That that's not where we can be. Uh, and Mike, as a you know as a communications business, um, what do you think the implications are for us if you, if you look over the longer term? I think you know, in terms of delivering consultations, that you know, it, it just changes. You know, you you shift emphasis from planning logistical um, consultation events to 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 creating a, a better consultation experience online, and supporting that with humans. You know, and creating a human face and just understanding much more how these things are received. Um, you know, if you've taken away the public event, so I think it'll shift. You know, and it'll shift. I think to be to be much more communications led, which which is probably not a bad thing. That's excellent. I'll wrap up shortly. I just wondered before we before we go, could I just ask, and perhaps starting with you, Tracy, if there was one thing that um, that you would like to see come forward, one one tool, one opportunity uh, for using uh, digital communications, what what would it be? I think for me, it's how a tool that would enable more consistent diversity. Um, how many people across our community, across our business industry, that we can get engaged in any form of conversation or communication we have as a local planning authority or as a local council. I think what COVID has identified is that, you know, local authorities play a really critical role within our community. And so, you know, we need to build on that, but we need to build on all elements of our community, not just distinct sectors of it. Thank you. And I, I, what about you? Same question to you. I completely agree with that sentiment. I think we have probably been super serving one part of society. But just to kind of reiterate a point I made before is if there's a way for the technology and for the way for the, the way we build our technology and engagement uh, allows us to be able to show that we're listening. So how can we do that? How can we how can the digital world allow us to do that, which is probably not its strong point? So a tool for us to, for us to be able to do that. Thank you. I don't know. Mike, I mean, in terms of uh, our role, do you think we can achieve this? I, I think it's everything is, is doable now, really. It, it depends on the ambition and the appetite for for the developer, really, and, and what, what the consultation needs to achieve, given the constraints of, of the environment that, that we're in. You know, um, you know, a year's time from now, project websites will pr- probably be a lot different. You know, in five years' time, they'll be totally different. Um, you know, and, and they won't just be a replaying of, of the exhibition boards online. You know, they'll be much more immersive and engaging experiences that, that help get, you know, communicate the issues and, and identify the issues, which is what consultation is about. That's great. Thank you. So, so thanks, Tracy. Thanks, thanks, Alan. Thanks, Mike. Um, appreciate you taking the time out. Um, thanks to everyone who took part. Um, it's been a real eye-opener, I think. I think it's a really interesting area. I'm sure we'll come back to it in the future. And, um, and 
stay safe. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this first edition of Strictly Infrastructure. Don't forget to subscribe via the usual channels, whether that's Spotify, Google or iTunes. If you have a question or a subject, or if you'd like to be featured, you can get in touch with us at podcast at You can follow us on LinkedIn and on Twitter at, at UK to get the latest on upcoming episodes. You can also subscribe to our weekly email update, Policy and Politics, via our website. This podcast was produced and presented by Camargue, the corporate communications agency specialising in infrastructure and the built environment. Thanks for listening and see you next time.